Hey, and welcome to another episode of Tea Time with Mother and Crone. Um, it's not my usual background. Very perceptive of you. Yes, I'm filming um, in Jacksonville this weekend. We have some wonderful things going on there. And Melinda is still under the weather, so everybody please keep her in your prayers and light those extra candles for her just so that she can get over this. It is a back issue, and her sitting for more than half an hour hurts. Okay. This is fun. This is what's called live television. What we're doing is I have the most honor to introduce my co-host this week, and it's an awesome, awesome co-host. It's the grandmother of the Crowley tradition. And let me see if I can get this right. I said it right once. Let's see if we can do it again. It is Right Reverend Sir Lady Angela Munn. Did I get it? Yeah. Okay. We're on here today. We're going to go over some really fun stuff. Um, first, our little cups. I am actually at Angela's, so I'm using her special cup that she has from us, so it's a little different than ours. Um, and we're doing a psychic tea. I figured all this month, it's October, this is our big Samhain thing, and we're going to do the psychic teas. This has the blue lotus um, flower in it, the blossoms, has a little bit of rose hips in it, and it has a little bit of mugwort, and y'all know how I feel about mugwort, so yes, we squeezed about two gallons of honey into it. Um, yeah, it's that bad. Uh, it's a very earthy mix. Um, the herbs I'm using are truly psychic herbs, um, and we can all look at Scott Cunningham, and he'll tell you all the good stuff. Mostly what I'm using has absolutely very little medical value. The value is mostly magical and psychic, therefore the mugwort. Um, the rose tips, we all know ro roses are good for you, whether you eat them or not. If you have roses in your yard, seriously, bring them in, dry them out, you know, let them dry up a little bit, and you can use them in a tea. Roses are one of the few flowers that you can actually pick a petal off and eat it. When we decorate flowers, uh, decorate with flowers on cakes a lot of times, it's easier to take a rose and dip it in frosting and hold it up till it dries and then put it on the cake because you try and make those roses, okay? And I'm going to tell you it's no fun. So that's kind of the thing that we um, look at doing. And roses have a lot of vitamin D, vitamin C in them. They're also very good for stress if you have a lot of stress in your life. And there is nothing better than the smell of a rose anyway. So when you bring in the roses and they start to fall apart on your table, don't feel sad about it. Gather those up, let them dry out, and use them in your tea for the rest of the winter. So it gives you something to look forward to. So um, drink up your hot tea with your roses in it. Yes, this is a tea that also can be cooled down because y'all know I don't do the hot tea so well. So Angela and I are here. This is going to be a fun time. Um, we're here tonight for a very special um, ritual, which we're not going to talk too much about because it's that special. But um, hence the reason of the red. So we'll just leave it at that. So most of you already can figure that one out. But we are here today for that. But we're also here to talk a little bit about adult Samhain and cooking for Samhain. Samhain is one of those holidays where you might not feel up to cooking. A lot of people do a dumb supper. You've done the dumb suppers before, haven't you? You want to tell everybody what a dumb supper is so they don't get the wrong idea? Well, you set your table and you leave one place setting empty for the ancestors to join you and your dinner is eaten in total silence. Now we all know traditionally Italian households cannot possibly do a dumb supper so we're just going to leave that out there. I wouldn't want to try it. Um, and the, rev the um, reason for not speaking for a dumb supper, do you know? Traditional household Italian, when you sit down to break bread, you've seen Lori and I break bread and it's all over. You know, it's screaming at each other, yelling. It's in love. It's in love. But, you know, we yell and, and, and we talk very loud when we're together. I notice my whole personality shifts when I'm in an Italian background. Um, and the dumb supper would be, like, totally foreign to most of my family. Like... Really? You don't talk? Um, dinners are always traditionally loud at my house. That's because the kids and, you know, everything that goes on. Um, the dumb suppers are done 
Samhain, usually is the only time I've heard of one done uh, with our tradition. We did one at Lady Stephanie's investiture ceremony. Hmm. I did not know that. I, yes. I, I, was, I, here, I was here then. Yes, I was. I didn't, I, you'll have to excuse us. This is what happens when you have live TV. Uh, Spectrum is telling me there's an outage in St. Petersburg. <clears throat> I'm in Jacksonville, but it doesn't realize that. So cooking this time of year. Um, Samhain is a very special time of year. Um, we're remembering our ancestors. So um, I know I traditionally cook um, food that I'm accustomed to this time of year. I grew up on a farm, as everybody knows. I'm an old farm girl, so we do stuff with apples. We love our apples. And it's a butternut squash. There's a very, very easy recipe. Um, actually, it's pretty healthy. Even though you put the apples in lots of brown sugar and lots of butter um, and all that good stuff, it's pretty healthy because the squash and the apple have a lot of fiber in them. If you need to get fiber, this is the perfect time to do it because squash is everywhere. Um, I actually stopped at Publix on the way in and I was like, wow, they have this whole area in Publix is full of squash. And the yellow and the green and zucchini. And I was like, please have butternut because I'm running through the aisles going, please have butternut. And sure enough, they had a whole thing of butternut squash. So cooking this time of year, there's a lot of different recipes. So what do you cook normally for a salmon dinner? Um, I like to make a spooky salmon dinner. Mm -hmm. Do um, tell. Split pea soup from the Exorcist movie. I have a brain mold and a heart mold. Yes. And I make a shrimp and cream cheese uh, dish, like a spread in the brain mold. Um, I have a jello and cranberry sauce concoction that I make with the heart mold and it looks like a real heart and of course the brain looks like a real brain. Um, we usually cook a turkey and call it um, a buzzard, <laughs> a vulture. Um, I like to make those cookies that look like uh, witch's fingers. Lady fingers, yes. yes. The almonds. Like creepy witch fingers. That's funny, when I was in Boy Scouts, we had the one mom, you always have one mom whose whole life is Halloween. And she would do our Halloween gathering with the boys and she had, where she would blindfold them and they put their hand in like wet noodles and she tells them it's like intestines and then she peels grapes and tells them it's eyeballs. Yes. My boys creeped out every time, but every year they begged her to do it. Every year they begged her, please do it, please. She was doing it after her boys were gone and married. She would come back and do it for me because the kids just got such a kick out of that kind of stuff. Now, I have to give you my recipe for Kahlua rum and gelatin and milk that goes in to the brain mold. It looks like brains, but it's high octane. <laughs> you use vodka. Um, it's like white Russian. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the vodka, the cream, the Kahlua, and then gelatin, and then you put it all in the mold, and then when you pop it out, you, oh man, you get buzzed off brains. <laughs> this is your brain on drugs. <laughs> um, we traditionally, I try, unfortunately in Florida, we don't have the shifting of the, the seasons. It was 87 driving down oh, here. It's cooler up here than it is down where I'm at. So it was probably maybe 85 here instead of 87. That's called cooler in Florida. Okay, that, that's called a cold front, two degrees. Uh, I, back home, when I was up north, would, this is my time to start buying the zucchini and all the different squashes because this is when I start getting ready to, I, I bake them I, and then I freeze them. Like I take a zucchini, scoop it out, pack it with meat, freeze it, and then pull it out like later on in the winter and we have that for dinner because you get tired of cooking the same old stuff. So this is my time for gourds and you know squashes and that kind of really good heavy foods that you normally don't traditionally eat in the summer because it's too hot. Have you ever made uh, butternut squash fries? 
No, I haven't. You take the neck part, the long part. That would be yes, right here. And then you cut, you peel it and cut it into like French fries, and then you bake it in the oven, and it is it's even better than sweet potato fries. It's delicious. Oh no, girl. Yes. Better than sweet potato fries. Oh, well, guess what's going to happen to part of the squash tonight? We may have to try that. Yeah. Just for part of it. Um, I did bring all the ingredients to make the butternut and apple squash if we have time to do it. But you have to remember, guys, we're running on Pagan Standard Time. Um, and we have a ritual tonight, so we're going to see what happens. Um, for adults, how would you explain Samhain to someone who is not of the path? I would just tell, just tell them that it's a time to honor our ancestors. The veil is thin, thinner, the thinnest of the year. And um, it's a time that you may get messages from from the other side. Now, tomorrow, the day after Samhain, we know is traditionally in the Catholic tradition, it's All Souls Day or All Saints Day, whether you're pre-Vatican or post-Vatican. Um, it's Dio de las Muertes for the Hispanic community. So there's a ton of ancestor worship going on for those two days. Now I'm going to ask you a question that was asked of me. Because the Catholics and a lot of the other traditions celebrate the next day, do you feel that the veil is thin on the two days? I would think for more than two days, probably a week or more during that time frame. Okay. And the reason I'm asking, because I was asked of me, because someone said, well, wait a minute, you guys do, we do ours on the 31st, but the first is also a celebration of the dead. So how does that impact you? And you know, it threw me because I had to stop and think about it. Um, all that time we're calling our ancestors. So we have two days of ancestor calls. Uh, and basically, and I guess tying up the phone lines to the Summerland or wherever you're calling from. But someone asked me, would that affect? You know, how does that affect things? And I'm, I'm sitting there like an idiot going, um... The only thing I can think of is the veil's thin for more than a day. Yeah. Now, this has been approached, and I know Tim's talked about this on his show, um, with all the deaths that we've had in the last year. The veil at this point, Tim's saying the veil is like almost non-existent at this point. How do you, have you had any come-throughs or breakthroughs? Um, I would like to talk more and hear more of his thoughts on that. I did hear him say that on his uh, broadcast, was it, I think it was this past week. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah he talked about it too um, a couple weeks ago. I know he, he brought it up about um, all the death that we've had. I mean, and, and when he talks, he talks global. He's not talking right. local, he's talking global. Um, and his view is that because so much has happened, the veil is like split because it's just so many going mm -hmm. through because let's face it we haven't had deaths like this since the last big war we had and that would probably been I would say Vietnam in our experience I'm, I'm trying to preface it you know none of us remember World War II that would be our parents generation but we do remember Vietnam all, all too well um, and his thing was that because so many have died and crossed that the veil is is like splitting, mm -hmm. like bulging. So I want to, I'm wondering how that's going to affect us for Samhain. It'll be, it'll be interesting. Well, let's see, Mercury has already made life interesting this week. <laughs> we're we're going to try to remember that it's in retrograde and just pass off everything that we've done, said, and has come out of our mouth is because of Mercury retrograde. Please forgive us all. Um, my week's been extremely wonderful, um, but I do want to ask about when you get adults for the very first time that have come in to your group, right. um, how do you pr prepare them for going into the ritual as well as, as this whole thing where it, I guess once you realize you have energy, mm -hmm. everything just kind of like, it's like never hearing before and all of a sudden you're hearing, so it, you're bombarded. I prepare people. I just 
mainly would tell them to bring a photo of an ancestor or someone that's recently passed away or not so recently passed away and then get everyone to tell you know something about their ancestor whether it's like a recent passing or it could be a dear loved one that's passed 20 years ago you know talk about that person bring them to life tell us what they mean to you did you see the movie coco it's a pixar movie did you love it as much as I did? It was so pagan. I loved every minute of it. Um, I, I watched it with my nephew. He's nine. And this is, so I had to explain a few things because he didn't understand. But he is being raised pagan. So the questions he had were more pagan. He's like, are they pagan? And I'm like, oh, well, we're not going to say that. <clears throat> we're going to leave that one ride for a while. But I did notice that um, it was very much impressed upon them to remember the person who had passed. And if they don't, then their light fades away and they disappear forever, so to speak. So it made an impression on my nine-year-old nephew because his grandmother passed when he was young, about four, oh no, they've been here for six years, about eight years ago. He was just a little guy. He was about two or three. But he sees pictures of himself with her all the time and that was his grandmother and he's he feels it there are times when and it's of course around Samhain he doesn't realize how how much of a medium he really is or how much of an empath he is so he starts feeling very very bad now his question to me was what about your dog what about your dog that died well I was listening to a podcast recently where they talked about dogs reincarnating and they said that it could be a dog that you've had that passed 20 years ago and it comes back as like a new dog in your life. His question was, if we don't remember our, our past doggies, do they fade away? I remember all of my dogs. I just find it, you know, as sad I'm, as I'm a big dog lover. As bad as it sounds, I remember my dogs more than I remember some of my relatives. <laughs> it's true. I'm not going to lie about that. But in his little mind, he felt that this Samhain, he wants to have a service for his past animals he had that have Gone away. I have my dog's pictures and ashes on my ancestor altar. I was going to ask that, so they are on your ancestor altar. So it's also remembering them, I guess, mm -hmm. because, I mean, let's face it, no one gives you more joy than your dog. Yeah. It's that unconditional love. <laughs> yeah, the only ones that give it. <laughs> and they don't hold grudges. And they don't care as long as you come home and pat them on the head. Yes. Too bad we can't train other people like that. <clears throat> It'd be great to train our, you know, bosses or husbands or significant others. But that was his question to me. And I thought for a little guy, that was a pretty good question. And he wants to have a service for, for Samhain. He wants to have his little altar. And, uh, of course, I had to talk to my sister about it and say, well, this is what he wants. And she's like, well, are you going to make the altar? I went, no, no, shit, yeah. So, I mean, the little altar, we strapped together a small altar that he's going to use for selling this year for just his past animals who have That's very nice. I like that. left him. But it, it was just funny because he's asking about, we were talking about the grandmother, and I know, you know, I'm trying to be, you know, very... I don't know, like forthgiving and, and saying, yes, Aiden, she's still with us. Mm -hmm. I know there's times you hear her because you stop in your tracks and look around like someone's called your name. I said, so that's her talking to you. And um, they recently lost one of their cats. And they lost a dog. Then they lost another cat. So they were missing two cats and a dog right now in the last couple of years. They were all about the same age. So, you know, when you... That's kind of why I always, when the kids were growing up, got things at different ages. Okay. So if one died, there was Someone, something. Yeah. But unfortunately, um, they've all passed. So he wanted to understand how that happened. 
possible. So I thought that was really interesting. And we talk about Samhain with adults, and um, it's like we can prep them a little bit by, you know, just because we're old enough to understand forever and all that kind of stuff. And I like to, you know, let my people understand that um, you might all of a sudden just get a melancholy feeling at this time of year. Um, up north, I can tell you I have SADD. I had to have a, my satellite mm -hmm. next to my computer and I would turn it on every day. Uh, down here, obviously, in the land where it's 9,000 degrees and the sun always shines. <laughs> you can tell I'm feeling it, guys. Um, I usually don't have a problem, but you know I've noticed if it's two or three days of rain, I do start to feel it. And it's, it's, it's that you know what it is, and it's like, okay, uh, there's got to be some sunshine soon. But Florida, trust me, two or three days, and you got, like, blazing sunshine. Um, but I do know up north, uh, melancholy is part of SADD. So if you're feeling super down and super depressed, um, take a minute out, and you might want to talk to somebody about it. Because it, it is a real condition. There, It's a cure. There's a cure for it. It's sunlight and you get the lamps to go I used to use mine next to my computer because that's where I would sit my butt forever and it really helps but I do know in prepping adults many adults in fall even though it is crisp and cool and you know there's certain smells that go along with fall there is that melancholia that sets in and I have had a lot of adults say to me you know I just, I just feel sad this time of year and I think it has a lot to do with the veil. Yeah, I really so. do. I agree. It just kind of creeps up on us. So, um, it you do feel that way. I mean, it's nothing wrong. Um, talk to somebody. Um, I know in the pagan path, uh, sometimes don't ever walk into a psychiatrist's office and tell them you hear voices or you talk to dead people or yeah. No, I'm just I'm saying that from a professional standpoint. You. You know, you want to watch. Unless you have a pagan counselor, then you can walk in and say anything. They, they get it. Like, you can tell me anything. I get it. Been there, done that. Um, but most, if they don't understand your um, religious background, are going to go, okay, that padded room, what color would you like your room in this week? You know, but melancholia can be part of the season. It can also be part of something else. So, you know me, I'm going to tell you to go talk to somebody. Just like if you stub your toe and think you broke it, go to the doctor, have it looked at. You know, because they don't do much now for a broken toe, but tape, they don't even tape them anymore. They just straighten them out a little bit. But, you know, you still want to get that medical checkup. You want to get a mental checkup. There should be no difference because you guys know how I feel about that. I, I really push that because this might be a cycle for you of remembrance and everybody that dies you're not always fond of I, I put that out there because it's true if if there was someone that in your life meant something to you and they pass what did they mean to you you know if it was a favorite aunt or a favorite cousin or somebody like that you might have a different feeling but if it's someone you really didn't care for this could be the time when now you're having to deal with that they're not here when a person is not here, you can't settle anything. Once they're gone, they're gone. So if you've got a grudge or unsettled things that have happened and that person does move on, you're left with that. See, you're here with that. They're gone and you're here. There's some stuff that needs to be worked out. Now, I can tell you from honest experience, um, when that happens, there's no way to talk to them. So you're kind of left there. So this time of year is one of those mixed bags. It really is. It, and what's worse is you got Thanksgiving and Christmas to get through, which are family holidays. And if you're not good with your family, then um, I always look at Samhain as a family gathering because we pick our family many, many times. We pick who we want in our house and who we want with us, um, especially at ritual. Rituals are very private. They are very, um, they're something you share, but they're also something very private with us. 
So if someone shares their ritual with you, that means that they trust you and that you're accepted into the group. So it's, it's family. And that's why I travel all the way down here so Angela can put up with me for another night. You know, I, I'm so much fun. Um, but I really think that we pick our families more so than our born families. And this is the time of year where you're picking your family because you're doing ritual with them. Because you've got, I know you've got a whole crew coming in for your ritual, don't you? Yes. I know Samhain's here is usually standing room only with this group. The last couple times I remember coming here, it was pretty packed. So um, we picked that family to be with at this time of year. Now, this can be a sad time. It's sad whenever you think about someone not being here that you want here, um, especially if it's something that happened this year. It's, that's when it hits you. It's like, wow. My aunt died um, on my birthday this year. She named me. She was, my, she was the last living relative in that generation. Um, she was just a kid when I was born, so I was like a baby doll for her. She had to dress me up. She was 16, so, you know, 16-year-old with a baby. It's like, oh, I need to change it 10 times a day. And she got to. So um, she passed on my birthday in April. Um, so for me, it's going to be a little bittersweet because I'm really going to miss her. She was our historian. Every family needs a historian. Let me put that out there. Please write this stuff down. There is so much that if you're doing genealogy, have you done any genealogy work? Um, my oldest sister did a lot of genealogy and passed it on to me, but I have had my DNA tested, and last night I spent a few hours on there um, finding new, new family, new relatives that I didn't know wow. that I had. That's awesome. I have, I found that I have a cousin, like a, maybe a second or third cousin that I went to high school with. I went to school with this woman all the way from elementary school through high school. We graduated in the same class and I just found out that she's my cousin. You're not from West Virginia, are you? No. Just, just had to ask. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. That, that's like awesome. Isn't it? Yeah. You wonder why you got along so well? That's weird to know that person all that time and not know you were related. I did not know that we were related. Found out recently through... Um, have you talked to her? I have not. Pat told me last night that I should reach out to her. And I mean, she knows me. I know her. But I don't know if she... She probably doesn't recognize my married name, but I recognized her, her name immediately on this um, site. Hmm. That's interesting that you found somebody that close. I, I think that's really cool. I really do. Um, I haven't done mine. I've, I've been, uh, I don't know, sort of wanting to and sort of not wanting to because I have no idea what's going on. I don't know any of my mother's family. Um, she was the only one that came over from Europe. So on that side, I have no idea. Um, I'm under the assumption that she was 100% Italian, but that doesn't always mean anything. I didn't realize how much Scottish that I had in, in me. Oh! <laughs> I had a high percentage of Scottish, which makes makes sense with oh. my personality. Welcome yeah. to the group. <laughs> <laughs> my maiden name is Scots. Uh -huh. um, we're descended from Captain David Maxwell, who came over in like the, I think, 1700s from the Queen Highland Scots. So, yeah, we've, we've been around for a while. But that's interesting to find out that, see, that would be the other thing. Oh, my God, I, I can just imagine what's going to uncover on my Appalachia side. <clears throat> There's a few things that, on that side that we always questioned. But we won't say anything. Um, but it's always, it's, it's the joke in West Virginia and everybody's related. Mm. And if you know how it's populated, it's small little t villages, basically, um, there are more people that live in Jacksonville, Florida, than live in the whole state of West Virginia. Wow. Okay, just mm -hmm. when, you, when you look at that and you see how big the state is, it's like, wow. So there's pockets of people. That's why you go from one town, it takes you forever, because they're just little pockets where people, like, set up roots, and that's where it's at. So there's always a joke that we're so inbred, you know, deliverance and that whole wonderful little thing. Um, 
but a lot of my family back there, both their parents are from one holler or another. So there is a lot of second and third cousins. Um, my grandfather's brother married his third cousin. Ray Maxwell married Marguerite Maxwell. So she didn't have to change her name. Man, I like that. But um, they were, I think, third cousins. You cannot marry first cousins in West Virginia, but you can in the state of Maryland. Let that sink in. When I became a minister in the state of Maryland, I was always under the assumption that you couldn't marry your first cousin. Not just genetics, but... But no, in the state of Maryland, you can. So that made me creeped out, like unbelievable. And I'm like, well, you can't even do that in West Virginia. How can you do that in Maryland? Yeah, I'm sorry. But um, I don't know. It's kind of neat when you find out you've got relatives you didn't know you had or you meet for the first time. I have relatives all over the world. My family either went into coal mining or went into the military. There's nothing else to do back in West Virginia. I'm not going to lie to anybody. There is no other industry. So um, a lot of my cousins, I don't know why, moved back there. I, I don't quite fathom that. They, I have them born all over the world, and they moved back to West Virginia. So I, I I'm question sure it's that. it's a lovely state. I don't think I've ever been there, but I've seen photos, and it looks lovely. It's, it's beautiful, but it's like 50 years behind the rest of the world. Women are to be kept, and yeah, no. This is why I don't. I go back and I visit and I spend time with my relatives, but I am not. I'm more of a mountain woman. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll shoot you and just soon look at you because I don't like shit. I'll just shoot you and be done with it. But I, I, finding relatives is like pretty special, that, especially if you knew them already. Yeah, I went to school with this girl for years and didn't know that she was my cousin until I had my DNA tested. And this is why I tell people to do their family trees, to get that oral history. I was amazed. My aunt was one of those people, like she knew, knew everything. You could say, hey, what about so-and-so? And she could go into a two-hour story on this person. Like my one cousin's daughter um, passed in an automobile accident about 17 years ago. And we're at the funeral home now. You have to understand West Virginia has two funeral homes. That's it, where we're from. So we're at the funeral home, and everybody knows everybody. Well, I'm the odd duck because I'm from out of town. But I grew up there, so they kind of, you know, all the kids I hung out with when I was little, like Caroline and a whole group of them that come over. And my aunt says, you've got to meet this person. She drags me across the room to meet my father's first girlfriend. I was like, cool. And who am I talking to? I'm, I, you know, there is a pecking order when you're a kid. And I don't care how old you are. If you're 100 years old, if you meet a teacher that you had in school, what do you call them? What you ever called them in school? Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so, right? Absolutely. So when your aunt grabs you by your arm and says, you're coming with me, you know better than the back talk because you know you're going to find your teeth on the floor. So you just go, yes, ma'am, and you follow. And uh, I was like... She talks to me, she introduces me to the person, and we walk away, and I'm like, and who is that? She goes, that's your father's first girlfriend. Why would you do that? She's like, well, I wanted you to meet her. Okay. Why is she here? Oh, because actually she's related on the other side of one of my cousins. So she married into the family, but like one of my dad's second cousins or something, so she's kind of family, but she's kind of not. I'm like, she wanted in that bad? I mean, that scares me. Anybody wants my family that bad. I, you know, psychiatric hospital is my thought. But we're, we're, a, we're a whole mixed bag back there, trust me. You, you, did you happen to catch our little wonderful graveyard scene? You will hear my cousins in the background. Someone listened to it and said, y'all sound alike. I'm like, yeah, I know. Y'all look alike. Yeah, I know. The genes are strong in my family. Except my hair is now blonde. That was the only thing. Everybody was like, well, that's not your natural color. How did you guess? Because everybody else in the picture had black hair? Figure that one out. But back to Samhain. Yeah, we got to keep on the Samhain thing here. Um, when we do ritual for Samhain, um, I know I use Lord Don's because I'm lazy that way. 
but he has he, he wrote it really well and he has a couple different acts of power so you can you know run it through a couple years without repeating the same thing um, but I do know that part of it is ancestral but it's also relating back to who you are and where you are in your ancestral lineage because not everybody's in the same place West Virginia if I get and this happened to me when I went back this time I love this uh, my cousin and I were in the Ace Hardware store in Mannington she had to pick up something God knows what so we go in and of course everybody knows everybody so everybody's saying hi to her and she introduced me again oh you know you remember you know yeah 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 okay so the first thing everybody says when someone says oh you're a Maxwell who's are you 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 do a lineage you literally stand in the store I'm Bobby's daughter my father was Robert they called him Bobby I said I'm Bobby's daughter <gasps> the little foreign girl yeah I'm still called the foreigner's daughter to this day I love it but it placed me and I was thinking about that driving up here because I was going over in my head this story and it placed me where I was in my family history my father was my grandmother had eight children and one passed when she was six months old her first so the rest of the children in pecking order I'm right in the middle my dad was number four so I'm number four first daughter so I was like wow I got a pecking order now my cousin her dad's number three and she's number three in that order we're six weeks apart we grew up together so when you start looking at that you start seeing where you're at in your family lineage so it was interesting to me because I was thinking about that like okay I'm defined back there by my father also my mother because I'm the foreigner's daughter so I'm defined before anybody even knows me I have a definition and I find that interesting because as you get older I mean as a kid it, it really it bothered me to no end to be called that because my mother was the foreigner she did not speak English while there was issues you know um, so it was always I was uncomfortable with that you know everybody bringing that up but as I've gotten older I've of course accepted it but it's like how does your family define you if you're defined in a pecking order, where are you defined in your pecking order? I was the youngest of four daughters, oh. so I was always the baby. Oh. <laughs> that can be good and bad. Good and bad, yes. That's a double-edged sword because the baby always gets their way. Come on, Grandma, let's hear it. The baby gets their way. <laughs> so you were the youngest of four, four daughters. daughters. Yes. I didn't have any brothers, three older sisters who were all trying to be moms to me. So that was a lot of fun. <laughs> it's hard for me to relate being the oldest and the only girl. So I, my cousin was the only girl. Mm -hmm. She has two older brothers. So I couldn't imagine growing up in a world without a boy because my brother was always there. Well, I have one child that... And he's a boy, and he's a male. And uh, when he was born, I was like, oh, what do I do now? Because I never had any brothers and, and didn't know what ask. to do. But I just had him in the kitchen cooking with me and just that, you know, that's, of, yeah, we had a lot of fun. But that's, that's interesting because that defines you. You're mm -hmm. the youngest girl and you were all girls, so you didn't have that testosterone running around the house. I relay that story, my roommate. Um, had two girls my nephew COVID hit so my 17 year old nephew uh, my sister asked can you take him so because he's a germaphobe on top of everything else and I said yeah I'll take him um, and boys have this issue teenage boys go in their room and shut their door and never come out did you have that issue where they kind of no, just do he no wanted to be with me. Yeah. Oh. He, was a, he was a mama's boy he always wanted to be with his mom Jordan is one of those does his thing like he goes into the room he shuts the door and she was she kept being very concerned he hasn't come out of the face of the room yet is he okay I'm like yeah he's a boy yeah. girls tend to come out and are vocal and will t speak with you where boys a lot of times will just go in and shut the door and that's it 
And she kept saying, well, is he all right? Does he need food? Does he? He's a boy. He's okay. Unless we smell something weird coming from the room, we're good. And he will let you know if he is hungry. Actually, he cooks. Oh, okay. He cooked for us. Yeah. So he did. I mean, but it's just that he, she's like, well, girls, mm, I had two girls, and then I had a boy. I said, he's good. Because she kept asking me, she says, you had a boy. Is he all right? Do we need to feed him? Do we need to go in there and check on him? I'm like, no. Drops dead, we'll know, we'll smell it in a few days, but other than that, he's good, you know. But it's interesting when you say you're the baby of all those girls, my goodness. So your poor mom had four girls. Yes. Wow. I couldn't imagine a house with that many girls in it. I just couldn't. Fighting for the bathroom. And of course, at one time of the month, would must have been miserable at your house. Because you were all at the same time. Yes. Oh. oh, I know my daughter moved home after when she was getting her first divorce. She was in her 30s, late 30s. And she moved home with her two girls. And I was still, and it was like, oh my God. All four of us, none of the men in my house, I, I threw them all out. My son got thrown out. <laughs> My boyfriend got there and everybody had to leave the house. And it was the four of us in there alone with that. Mm, that was not, not a happy time for four days. <laughs> and after that, we were good. I just couldn't imagine that many girls in one house. Because when I had them at my house, it was like, whew. she stayed there for about three months. I didn't think I was going to make it. Just, just the girls. I'm not used to that much estrogen in my house. You know, and it's like, oh, I love my granddaughters. Really, I do. And I'm saying that, and she's coming on the show this month, so I hope she didn't see this episode first. <laughs> she's doing our children's Samhain with my granddaughter and my great-grandson. They're going to... I have no idea what's going to happen, so I'm just going to let you guys know ahead of time. It'll surprise us all when we see it. But when we do Samhain, again, Samhain, like the Day of the Dead, is an honoring. But... Now, in Catholicism, we celebrate um, All Souls Day, or it changed All Saints Day, where they do the Litany of the Saints. And I don't know about you, but I have a real hard time relating to some of those saints because they died, you know, in the year two or the year three. And I, I really can't, you know, put a handle on that. Like, St. Francis of Assisi, I know he's the greatest thing since I spread for animals, but I really can't relate to him. But if I look at my ancestry and, you know, one of my relatives that died, I can really relate to that. So I kind of feel like um, when Catholicism took this from us, that they really didn't think about it before they did it. It was kind of like, oh, well, we're going to celebrate our ancestors. But I don't think they caught on to what we were saying with ancestors. What's your take on that one? I kind of look at the saints. I was not raised Catholic. Um, I did grow up in New Orleans, so everyone around me was Catholic. Um, but I kind of look at the saints as like gods and goddesses. Their attributes. And if, do I need to call on a certain goddess or god for something? Do I need to call on a certain saint for something? Well, there's a saint for everything. If you lose something, it's Saint Anthony. Mm -hmm. You know, St. Joseph upside mm -hmm. down on the left side of the lawn. Yeah. I didn't say that out loud, did I? Okay. Uh, but you're right. They kind of have almost a deity or lesser God yes. attribute to them. Mm -hmm. Because if I was now looking for something I lost, I would, you know, I would call on Hakate's dogs because let's be honest. The dog is going to sniff something out. And he's going to find it. So that that's my go-to when I lose something. I call, and if you translate it, it's spot. Spot? If you translate the name down from Hecate's dog, you know, the dog of hell, the three-headed dog, and I'm going to say it wrong, so don't even laugh, Zebras, or however you want to say it. I, I can't, I'm lucky I can say my name. But if you translate it down, it comes out to spot. So in my brain, mm -hmm. I'm calling spot to find my craft that I've lost. 
I know that sounds bizarre, but if you think about it, mm -hmm. that's what a dog does, right? Yeah. So call Spot the next time you lose something instead of St. Anthony, or you can call St. Anthony too. Can't hurt to have two or three look for it because God knows I'll lose my keys once a day or my phone. That's the worst. You put your phone down, you can't remember where you put your phone down, and sometimes you have it in your hand while you're looking for it, like your glasses. Yeah. Oh, mine's throw my glasses up and then I'm looking for my glasses and they're on my head. So when we're going through Samhain and we're cooking, um, what would you recommend for a Samhain dinner? Um, just something seasonal. Just maybe, I like to bake, maybe some pumpkin bread, apple mm. cake, um, a nice soup, a nice, you know, vegetable soup with seasonal vegetables. What was that soup you made that, not, the time before last when I was here, um, oh my goodness, it was a gumbo of some sort? I have made gumbo before. Yeah. I know, oh my God. And you guys wonder why I travel four hours here, okay? Fat girl thinks with her belly. Um, no, you made that, that wonderful soup, and I'm trying to remember when I was here for that. It was, I don't know if it was gumbo or not, it might have been. I like soup. My husband doesn't. So, and when y'all are here, I'm happy to make soup because I know y'all appreciate it. Oh my God. Well, what'd you make that last time you made uh, chili? Oh, you made that stew with the rice. Oh yes, we made beef stew. Yes. yes. I, I didn't make that. Pat made that. Pat made that? Pat made that. Ooh, a man that can cook. Ooh, be still my heart. Uh, it figures the men I married, none of them could cook. I can. But no, I mean, and how do you feel about food as bringing people together? Um, I think it's one of the greatest things that, you know, that will bring people together. Um, I, that's why we set the table here at our temple and we have a nice dinner or sit down dinner and, you know, make it special. I try to make every dinner that we have, every potluck dinner at our, uh, for our gatherings, something special. Well, I can honestly say I must have gained 30 pounds at her gatherings. Um, if you go home hungry, that's your fault because there's always plentiful food. And I can say you do put a lot of thought because all of our meals associate. Mm -hmm. I, try, I try to have at least one thing and then I have a little tiny garden outside and I do try to take things out of my garden and, um, and use, use that. Use well, something out of the garden. I can tell you tonight we do have a celebration and it's more of a red tent celebration and she has red velvet cupcakes sitting in front of me <laughs> I'm sitting here dying um, but she has made these wonderful cupcakes and I'm seeing them sit on the table our table is done and even our plates you gotta see this I'm gonna show off our red okay so um, it's awesome when you come here because the food is geared to the holiday or whatever we're doing. And I think, I don't think a lot of people think about that. When you think about Samhain, you're thinking about Day of the Dead, this, that, and the other. But if you look at it from the Hispanic point of view where they do Dia de las Muertes, they make the favorite dish of the person who has past and take it to the gravesite because oh they love this or whatever it is you know if they love pumpkin bread you'd bring pumpkin pumpkin bread but I think that's really special because food defines us or we wouldn't call it ethnic food now think about it you cook New Orleans New Orleans style and we've I've had a lot of different foods here that are strictly New Orleans that I've never had before which is like for me it, it's food okay so that brings me out because that was my career for a long time was cooking and to have some of that real New Orleans stuff and to have it the way it was cooked the way you were taught to cook it yes. not what you buy at the restaurant Exactly. let's give restaurants their due they try but they have to cater to a very wider audience so they cannot have the real traditional foods because nobody's going to eat there because you, you, we've Americanized it, just like Italian restaurants. If you ate real Italian food, you would hardly have any meat, uh, depending on where you're from. Mm -hmm. My mother was from the coast, all seafood. She very seldom ever cooked meat. My father grew up on a farm with cows and pigs and wanted to know where his steak was. 
And my mother's going, what? She cooked very little meat. Well, it was during the war, but I mean, even traditionally, uh, it's pasta with a little sauce, and the sauce doesn't usually, and it's not a lot of sauce. I notice in America, you guys like three or four cupfuls of sauce on two pieces of spaghetti. Yeah, because my roommate does that. She's like, there's no sauce. I'm like, there's enough for 10 people. But America, we throw sauce, and I know that's different. But I know that the food not only brings us together, but I think it brings out, I don't know, the season when you cook, because you cook with whatever's growing in your garden, literally. So we run out there and grab from your garden. And you've got a couple of witch cookbooks. Believe it or not, we witches do cook. Um, other than children, we cook other things. Yeah, I've got this uh, Cunningham's Wicca in the kitchen. And this one doesn't have recipes by the Sabbaths. It's almost like a correspondence. Ooh. Yeah. It, um, Good old Scott. He really knew what he was doing. It's a chapter on spices and herbs, and uh, and it talks about uh, like here's one on money foods, and it talks about blackberry brandy, chocolate milk, cream de cocoa, syrup, milk, uh, maple syrup, milk, um, so that you can use a food as a correspondence in in planning your meals. Now, this cookbook here does go by the Sabbaths. It's the Wicca cookbook, uh, Recipes, Ritual, and Lore. So you can look up whatever the upcoming Sabbath is and find um, all kinds of recipes. Okay, and who wrote that book? It is by Jamie Wood and Tara Seafelt. Wow, I've not seen that one. That's new. I knew about Scott. Scott has some, before Scott moved to the Summerland, he wrote some awesome books, and his books, his three books, everybody knows the three main books, are required, I feel, in your library, because it's the herbs, my goodness, that, that covers everything, then the oils, incense, teas, and then crystals. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's your three basic things that you need, and I, I love his books. The cooking book, I do not have, I've seen it, and I keep saying I'm going to get it, now I've got to go get it, but... Um, I didn't realize his was by different, you know, things that you wanted, not it's necessarily. Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Wicca in the Kitchen. Oh. He did such a good job on all of his books. I, I really, I have to say that they are basic reference books for everybody to use. I, I know yours probably look as bad as mine do. They're all dog-eared and... I had this Cunningham book forever. The pages are getting a little... Well, a book isn't loved unless its pages are bent and torn and it's used. If it's sitting on your shelf pristine, that means you've never pulled it off and read it. You pull my Scott Cunningham books off and I've got it taped together. It's that bad. Because you open it. It's a reference book. Bookmarks in it to mark special recipes. I like that one, though, about this, the different holidays because that would help. Food defines us. Um, food is defined ethnically, it's defined regionally. You're from New Orleans, so we know what kind of cooking you do, etouffee and all that good stuff. I'm from Appalachia, where it's cornbread and black-eyed peas, you know, all that kind of gross stuff. But if you look at that, we are defined by our food that we eat. And now that the earth is, the world is so small, you're getting actual real food from the different countries and stuff. So being able to eat New Orleans style down here, and I'm down in Florida, so I'm a little bit south of New Orleans, but we'll go with that one. But being able to define who we are by what we eat, and then to be able to define it as as spiritual food. Um, not a lot of, like, the, the Catholics really don't define food by the holidays or anything. You define it by mostly your ethnic background. There's a lot of Italian people in New Orleans, I can tell you that. And really? I have seen some of the most beautiful St. Joseph's altars with the most gorgeous foods on a St. Joseph's altar. You cook for St. Joseph like you would cook for your father-in-law. That's what I was told as a child growing up. Because St. Joseph is basically your father-in-law. Hmm. You know, um, and it's funny, my late husband's name was Joseph. 
and he was a stepfather to my son. So we used to joke about that all the time. You know, he was St. Joseph because he put up with me. He's, we know he's in heaven. We know this. But his family is German and Irish. His mother's German. His father's Irish. So a lot of their foods were no season foods. The Irish is very bland. Potatoes. They can make anything out of a potato, including cake. I've actually made cake and using potato as the starch to hold it together. It was bizarre. Potato flour? Yeah. It, I actually used potatoes and you put flour in it and you made a cake and I was like, oh my God. And it wasn't bad. I, that's what shocked me. Um, and the Germans really don't spice a whole lot. They have the sour beef and dumplings, but that's just the sour. And the sauerkraut is, again, just sour. But their cooking is not as spicy. Um, I think that was more the Italians, the Greeks, Mediterranean area is a little bit more spicy. Um, actually uses a lot more spices is what I mean to say. The food isn't spicy. But I do know here... Um, in the regions where you're from, you know, like you haven't had clam chowder unless you have New England style clam chowder. I'm not a clam chowder fan, so I don't know. Um, Maryland crab soup is a big thing, and you can't. Well, crab cakes are like God in Baltimore. Um, but you can't make your crab soup if it's going to storm the night before, it'll turn sour on you every time. You make it, it storms, throw it out. And people, they'll tell you it's not true, but I've made it, put it in the refrigerator for the next day, and it stormed, and it was, I had to throw the whole thing out and start over. So I never made my crab soup. When I catered, that crab soup got made that day. That way I was sure it wouldn't sour. Somebody said it has something to do with the corn in it. I have no idea. But all I can tell you is if you make crab soup and it, storms, the next day it's sour. Interesting. Uh, it, it's a thing. But um, food just brings us all together. And having a cookbook that actually brings together the holidays gives you a little bit of an idea. Waverly Fitzgerald also um, has a book out and he's online or was on, well his stuff's online and you can actually get recipes for the different holidays from there and usually 90% of the time it's what's seasonal in that part of the community at that time. Now in Florida we're lucky we have a growing season that's what all year basically? Yeah, pretty much yeah it's even a lot different than being in Atlanta. Oh that's yeah. right You're, yeah. you were in Atlanta for a while so it's more of a growing season here like year-round? Yes. Okay because up north it, it's very straightforward yeah. you know we have our our seasons are very very you know almost deadlined so I do know that most of the time it's whatever seasonal but since I've moved here it's like there is no seasonal it's like I found squash today I didn't think I was going to find the squash because they're just starting to come out up north because my daughter um she's just getting over COVID thank you she got her shot so she was smart she got her two shots but she got it last week uh, put her down for three days, and now she's back up eating again. And she was bitching because she couldn't find certain things in the grocery store she wanted to buy. So she was joking with me that I need to ship her up some things down here. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. But she was looking for squash, mm -hmm. for salmon, you know, and gourds to start decorating mm -hmm. altars and stuff with. And the gourds aren't out yet. I haven't seen them. No, they haven't had a... Gourds usually don't come out till we have the first good frost up north, and they haven't had one yet. Uh, I don't know if it's global warming, but you remember this year is our hottest year yes. on record for a lot of places, so I don't know if they're going to get them up there or not. The pumpkins are smaller this year, what I've been hearing, um, because the growing season was altered because of the extra heat wave that they had up north and everything so the pumpkins aren't coming in as as well as expected i did not know that we didn't grow a lot of pumpkins in west virginia we grew we grew food to actually eat mm -hmm. which was corn string beans tomatoes peppers you know all that kind of stuff uh, and it's funny my cousin sent me pictures she just put away she when i say put away it's canned we do canning 
Um, so she just put up, I don't know, 22 jars of a hot pepper thing that she makes. And then she put up another 20 jars of something else. And I'm like, it's the two of you. You're not going to go run out of food. It's just the two of them. But she still cans like she's got 50 kids at home. But it's nice to get a homemade canned item for like a holiday gift. Like we're hinting, gift. we're hinting, we're hinting. There's four of us cousins hinting like hell. Oh, you put all that up. How good is it? You know, she makes her own relish and stuff nice. like that. Um, and I'm sure it's better than store-bought. Her bread and butter pickles are, oh, God, I can eat the whole jar all by myself. Um, but you're right, it is. It's a lot better than anything you can buy in a can in the store. Um, now I have a question for you. We've been having a lot of talks now about everybody going back to maybe growing things because the uh, supply chain got so screwed up and we couldn't get stuff. What's your thoughts on that one? I think it's great. I think every person should grow at least one item that they can eat, whatever the season is. I mean, whether it's a winter squash, summer squash, I think everybody, if you have one tomato plant, that you can get a few tomatoes. I think everybody should grow at least one plant. What do you think about in school? Do you think they should grow some of their own vegetables I in do. school? I think it would be great for the kids, a great experience. Yeah. It's funny, I grew up farming, mm -hmm. so of course we didn't farm at school, but we did have the FFA, Future Farmers of America, sorry. For those who don't know, FFA is Future Farmers of America. But they were talking about, um, since kids are going back to school now, um, actually starting gardens in some of the schools so that they would grow tomatoes and you know fresh vegetables that they could actually have for their lunch times in their cafeterias but you know they can't get the FDA approval to actually use the food that they grow because the schools are run by the government so but um, I think that every kid I'm it's since we've had this supply chain issue um, I know it's hit us internationally because that's what I do for a living. But I do know that you're finding out who can actually survive and not survive without buying the stuff at the store. I couldn't get it at the store. I went home and made it. It wasn't a thought. It was like, wow, I want that. I couldn't find nachi. So I went home and made it. It's potato dumplings. How tough is that? Potato dumplings are real tough to make. So, but it's it was that kind of thing where we had it, but nobody knows how to make it. And I'm sitting here thinking, I think the millennials, whatever generation they are now, I can't keep up with the generations. Hey, I'm so old, I don't even know the generations anymore, but they're talking about them having to actually learn how to cook. I know a lot of people that don't know how to cook, and I just think it's... I can't. It's amazing that someone doesn't know the basics. I well, there's no home economics classes in school to, to give you the basics. That's true. They, they took that out. I, you know, I always felt some kind of way. I grew up in a kitchen. Mm -hmm. That was just what we did. Everybody cooked. So I can't imagine not cooking. My kids, I catered, so that's free labor. So trust me, my kids can cook because it was free labor. <laughs> So my son always says, the only reason I can cook is my mother wanted free labor. I'm like, exactly. So I just think it's a, you know, that might be something to start a tradition at Samhain is to start cooking as a family. I mean, it doesn't hurt to have a, there is nothing more funny. You know, when Lori and I get here. Uh-oh. We got to that. There we go. Live TV, welcome to it. But I know when Lori and I come down here, um, we get in the kitchen and it's, we don't even think about it. We just go. But I think that would be a fabulous idea is, is to start cooking with your kids for the holidays at least. I mean, Samhain's a big one. After that, um, I don't know how most people in America do celebrate Thanksgiving, so that's another cooking holiday. And between Yule and Christmas, there's enough cooking that's going on at that time of year with Christmas cookies and you'll, there's no difference between the foods, let's be honest. Right. We just cook whatever we have. So we do the cookies and the, all of the desserts and the 400 
you know, pieces of the meal that go together, you know, the mashed potatoes, the baked potatoes, the sweet potatoes, the yams, and all the other good stuff that goes in there. By the time you get done, it's about four or 500 dishes that you're cooking. So I think that would be a great idea if everybody thought about doing that. Well, I don't want to keep everybody, our time, I swear, the, the time goes so quickly when you're with friends. We're going to sign off for this week. We're going to see you guys back next week. Um, the word of the, of the day, and I've got to remember it now. We're just going to go with the word of the day. It's going to be cooking. Mm-hmm. Type in cooking. And see, Melinda does this, and I can never remember everything. We're on Facebook. We're on, uh, if you go on our Facebook page, you can type that in. If you go on YouTube, friend us on YouTube, and that'll put you in the drawing to get a cup if we send it out to you. And if nothing else, if on our friends and on our pages and Facebook, if you want to see something, put it down. We'll try and uh, research it for you. We're going to be having another show with the history on it. And I'm not sure what order these are going in. Um, and then we will have the children's show. Um, and I hope you guys stop in and see us. And y'all have a great time. And I hope to look forward to you next time.